I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Every week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications right here on Outside the Walls. I don't know if you found this to be true or not, but I've, I've heard it from a number of people, and I've experienced it myself. It can be hard to keep the faith. It can be hard when all, the whole of life's stress press in on us to maintain our time in prayer, to maintain our trust and our faith in God. It can be difficult when we look around and see the news as it is, whether it be in the secular sphere or even the distressing news we see within the church. And it can be hard to keep our faith alive, to go and spend time in adoration, to keep our devotions up and active for us when we face hardship to continue in the in the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy. But as hard as it can be for us to maintain our level of faith, it's that much harder to pass the faith on to our children. Sure, we can they can see how we practice it. They see that we go to mass. They see the rubrics and that we rise here and we kneel here and we uh, stand here and, and we say these words at that moment. But to pass on to them the heart of our faith, the encounter with Christ, that's a hard thing to do. We, we can explain our own encounter, but no matter what we do in that regard, uh, all we're doing is passing along information. And our faith is more than information. The faith is more than orthodoxy, that right belief. It's more than the doctrines. It is the encounter with Christ. But again, it's not merely the encounter, because that encounter has to draw us into discipleship. During Christ's time on earth, there were many people who came into contact with him, some who even received miraculous healings and yet weren't moved to discipleship. I think of the, the story of the, the 10 lepers that were healed, and only one of those who received miraculous healing from the hand of Jesus Christ himself, only one of those returned just to give gratitude, much less to follow after him. And so we have to be mindful as we give our children an experience with the church, an encounter with Jesus Christ, they were also giving them the tools and the understanding that there is a necessity to follow after Christ, to do the things that he says, to do the things that he did, and to listen for his voice, his direction, and his will for our lives. I think there's a temptation for a lot of people to say, if I just take them to Mass, we're going to go to Mass every week, uh, that, that's going to be enough. I'm going to make sure they go to religious education. I'm going to make sure they get their sacraments. But the truth is that there are a number of people who have grown up in the church and have received the sacraments, gotten all the sacraments at just the right time. They went through Catholic school. They went through uh, religious education, all the bells and whistles, and they came all the way through, never encountering Christ for themselves. But there is a model that the church gives us. There is a model that is provided for us by God himself in Scripture. And this model comes from the book of Deuteronomy. All the way back in the Old Testament, the children of Israel have been uh, freed from captivity. They've been given the Ten Commandments. And then here they're given the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey that God is going to deliver them into. And he says this, 
Hear, O Israel, this is Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole being and with your whole strength. Take these words which I command you today, keep repeating them to your children. Recite them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your arms as a sign and let them be as a pendant on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, first step is this. Let Christ, let God the Father, let the Trinity be the center of your life. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole being, and with your whole strength. Everything you are, let it be consumed with love for God. That's step one. Step two is talk about that love. Faith, as much as our culture would like to make us think it is, faith is not a private matter, specifically not one to be kept from our family. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, and while you're doing it, tell your children about it. If you are tithing, tell your children why you're tithing. If you're giving to charity or providing a meal for the homeless, talk about the reason. Talk about the spiritual and corporal acts of mercy. Talk about the faith all the time. When? When you rise up and when you lie down. When you come in and when you go out. In large part, our children are going to see the things we do, and it's going to make an impact even if we don't talk about it. However, if we don't talk about the reasons for our activities, for our disciplines and our devotions, then all our children are going to see are the externals. Toward the end of the chapter in Deuteronomy 6, we see, later on, when your son asks you, what do these decrees and statutes and ordinances mean which the Lord our God has enjoined on you? You shall say to your son, We were once slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and goes on and on and on and tells the story. And then it says, The Lord commanded us to observe these statutes in fear of the Lord our God, that we may always have a good life as we have today. This is our justice before the Lord our God, to observe carefully the whole commandment he has enjoined on us. So even here, there's the acknowledgement that we have to do more then teach it. We have to give the reason for this hope. So our children ought to hear us talking over and over that God became man, that he took on human nature through the womb of Mary for the sake of reconciling us back to himself through his redemptive work on the cross. And that redemptive work we get to participate in and experience each and every week at Mass. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Douglas Beaumont about passing the faith on to our children, specifically through the question of how we operate religious education in the Catholic Church. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
Here we are in the first week of Ordinary Time, and so uh, we're going to get back to ordinary topics. But really, what is ordinary in light of our baptism? That's what we talked about last week. This baptism completely reshapes us and gives us a new ordinary, a new normal. And so even, even our ordinary could be considered extraordinary if you really, really thought about it. We're talking today with Dr. Doug Beaumont. Uh, he's the director of religious education at St. Joseph Parish, somewhere hidden in the small state of California. Uh, he got his PhD in theology from Northwest University, and we're talking today about uh, something that that's on the mind of a lot of people. How do we uh, give the the Catholic people a, a solid knowledge of their faith? You know, we we've heard. I'm sure that you've heard. I've heard, and I'm a convert. I've heard all the time. All of the uh, the problems that we've experienced in catechesis, uh, how the rise of the nuns can somehow be attributed to bad catechesis uh, for a generation. And so there's all these questions swirling around. How do we correct uh, and make some course corrections in in the, the way that we pass on the faith to those that are around us so that people can actually live their faith and know their faith? Uh, and, and so the answers to that have largely... Uh, been debated in the catechetical community. And Doug, you wrote an interesting piece on your blog, which people can find by going to douglasbeaumont.com, on uh, family faith formation in the parish. And I've seen this in a parish before, and I've I've seen a couple of curriculums that are just coming out. Uh, so I have some questions about this that, um, that I, just to kind of get an idea of how it all fits together. But before we get into that, why don't you just lay out the case for family faith formation, and we can move on from there. Sure. All right. Well, um, and, and like we, we spoke before, I, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not all the way there yet with, with all of this. Um, this is something we are looking to implement this year. Um, the article that I wrote is largely based on the research that I was doing to prepare myself to discuss this with our board and, and pastor. And um, just to kind of start at the top, um, it's interesting that when you look at the catechism, when you look at canon law, when you look at church documents, um, all of them seem to be pointing to the same place, that basically parents are considered the primary catechists. And, and you hear this all the time um, among religious educators, parents are the primary catechists. It's like this big catchphrase. Um, but then what do we orient our programs around? What do we put all of our money into? The kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, typic- the typical parish almost completely bypasses uh, the parents, if not all of the adults, unless they're coming into the church, of course, you know, the, we'll usually have RCIA. Um, but all of all of the focus is on the kids. So just to get like kind of the flavor for what the church thinks, uh, the catechism says parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. Um, another church document, the right and duty of parents to give education is essential and irreplaceable, incapable of being entirely delegated to others. So that, that really, I think, kind of cranks the heat up a little bit. Um, another one says, parents are bound by the most serious obligation to educate their offspring. Um, the World Synod says bishops are to ensure the authentic Catholic faith is transmitted to parents. Okay, not to children, but to parents, so that they in turn can pass it on to their children. Canon law says parents are above others obliged to form their children by word and example. So on and on it goes, um, you know, for, from the general directory, all of these resources that uh, that we use to try to figure out how we're supposed to 
uh, run our programs, I just over and over and over and over again, you see this, this dedication to the adults, to the parents. Um, and yet that doesn't seem to be what we're doing. Um, so, you know, I think that if, if our parish and mine, I mean, you know, not to brag, but you know, we, we are a pretty serious parish here. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of one of the diocese uh, leaders in a sense of not just numbers and giving, but also, you know, we're, we're kind of where, you know, the, the real strong Orthodox Catholics tend to flock. Um, and, uh, you know, even here, uh, especially coming from the evangelical world, I kind of feel like the education is, is just dismal in the sense that you walk outside and, you know, the parking lot is flooded with cars full of parents tapping away on their iPads. They're dropping the kids off and they're leaving to go do chores. Um, and, you know, like a lot of other parishes, a lot of the kids tend to disappear in between sacrament years. So we're experiencing the same thing everybody else is. I, I don't think that there's some magical quality that just suddenly makes everybody, you know, run to great adult catechesis. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what I typically hear is more of an excuse coming in the back that, well, it, you know, because all of these parents are so unfaithful, if we don't grab the kids when we get a chance, we're, we're never going to get them, we're going to lose them. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is we are losing them. All, all of the numbers, all of the data coming in suggests that um, there's a massive rupture in faithful uh, Christians in general um, but the Catholics in, in particular are outpacing all of the other um, Protestant denominations with, with the rate at which we're losing people um, once they become adult age and are no longer bound by the sacraments, um, we're, we're losing a lot of them. So the, the system doesn't seem to be working. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking with Dr. Doug Beaumont. And so we're talking, uh, the question that I have is this, um, you present this idea that based on this information, uh, that we need to have perhaps a new model of catechesis and one that focuses on the parent uh, that in, in order to get the child. So what, what would that look like uh, in, in practicality? Yeah, there, there's been a number of different uh, trial runs, um, and, and I've heard of a few, and nothing has really grabbed me um, as the DRE here. Uh, some have just gathered whole families and just said, this is your catechesis, uh, you know, come in after mass. We're going to spend an hour, um, teaching you and the kids. Sometimes they separate them and the kids go do one thing and the adults go do another thing. Uh, some just follow the liturgical year and it, it's, it's almost more of, um, what they do in RCIA called dismissal, where there's just discussion of the, of the, uh, homily, um, we're a very big parish. Um, we, we, we have about a thousand um, minors that we, that we put through here every year. Uh, so just gathering the families would never work for us. Uh, we, we'd have to do it every day of the week and we'd right. still have hundreds of people coming in. Um, so what I was looking for was more of a, a flipped version where the, the immediate focus of the parish educators, uh, such as myself and the pastors, uh, returns to the parents and tries to get them on board with a Catholic life that is going to invade the home, so to speak. Um, I think that almost any form of catechesis will work just fine in a Catholic culture. You know, if, if you have strong Catholic families and, and they're practicing the faith and, and uh, showing it on a daily basis, uh, what, what the parish contributes is rather immaterial. I mean, at best, we get these kids for 1% for of their life, probably a lot less, actually. Um, so what we do during that 1% is not going to probably have a massive impact on the 99% that they're getting elsewhere. 
So for me, it was more important to try to do something that was a bit more life-changing for the parents rather than just say, oh, you take the book home and teach your kids, bye. And, right. <laughs> and then it's over. Uh, so what I'm looking at, uh, what we're probably going to try out this year is, is a Sophia Institute's Family of Faith. It's a curriculum that is designed as a culture changer, not just as a curriculum changer. Um, and I've been w- working very closely with our rep, getting ideas, bouncing back and forth. And just, just to lay it out for the practical details real quick, essentially the families that sign up uh, come to the parish once a month, not every week, but just once a month. And we have about a two hour, what I'm calling a parent retreat. Um, and, and I've added some of this to the, to the basics, but um, the, uh, the, the family of faith curriculum focuses on teaching the parents what they need to learn to be able to teach the next three or four lessons throughout the month. And so they would go home, they would do the activities. Um, they, they, there is a workbook for their children, but it's very open-ended. It's very interactive. Uh, so it spans across age ranges. Um, it's not just crossword puzzles and fill in the blank. It's, it's family activities um, that are designed to foster an actual home environment of Catholicism. Um, and then they would come back each month and, and we would feed them again. And that, that's the basic idea. Um, what I'm adding to the process is um, hopefully having a place for everyone in the family to be during that time. Um, you know, one, one thing that, that I guess maybe as an ex-Protestant sort of irritates me about <laughs> Catholic practices is um, just the fact that, uh, you know, during adult activities, there, there's almost never childcare. Right. And, and, and I, I, I can see possibly someone thinking that's ironic. You know, you're trying to do something for the family, but then you're splitting them up. Well, we're not so much splitting them up as we're trying to find age-appropriate things for them to do so that the adults can be adults. Um, parents need their time to not have to be changing diapers and chasing kids around. And if we can give them that for a couple of hours a month, I, I think that turns into something that they want to come to. It's, it's no longer a hoop that we're going to force them to come through and dangling that sacrament carrot in front of them. Um, I want to give them something they want to come to because then what they're learning is something that they that becomes something positive in their life. And it's not just a bunch of boxes they check off. You know, there's more than the idea of splitting up the family. I mean, what you're asking a family to do, if you don't provide childcare is to split their attention. I want, I have some, a very important thing for you. I want you to come and give all of your attention to this so that you can then teach your children, but I want you to manage your children while I'm giving you this information, this life-saving, life-changing information. You've got to make sure that they behave and don't disrupt anyone else while you also completely understand and appropriate the information I'm giving you. It's just, I think, justice to give childcare uh, when we're asking so much of the parents. Absolutely. And, and really keeping the family together for me means that there's something for all of them to do when they get here, because otherwise we know what's going to happen. One parent's going to stay home because, you know, babysitting costs $20 an hour these days, uh, especially if you're a Catholic family and you have, you know, the, the required, you know, four to <laughs> children minimum. I'll, I'll include both of us. Um, you know, someone's just going to end up staying home because it's just too much of a pain mm-hmm. to have one of the parents, you know, out, out in, uh, you know, Our Lady of the parking lot, you know, the whole entire time uh, chasing children around um, while the other parent gets to actually have Bible study um, or some kind of adult education. Um, you know, we, we want to keep the families together by having something for all of them to do. And that's really the, the bigger idea is that th- this class is not for your kids. Okay. You, you're, you're here to be adults, to be taught as adults, 
kids really don't have a place here. Um, we want you to be able to relax. We want you to be able to elevate your thinking to a higher level. Um, and then, you know, we're going to have something for the teens. We're going to have something for the kids, have something toddlers, infants. Um, and uh, that way the whole family can come and the whole family can look forward to it. We're talking today with Dr. Douglas Beaumont. Find out more about his work and his writings over at douglasbeaumont.com. That's B-E-A-U-M-O-N-T, douglasbeaumont.com. And we're talking about the, really a paradigm shift in the way that we do religious education. And it's it's going to be a, a difficult transition, I think, regardless, simply because we have so much uh, writing on and so much of our structure is based on and so much of our curriculum is based on uh, a certain kind of school model for doing religious ed. And, uh, and so the suggestion is that we change that model uh, or at least accommodate for this model of what we see in scripture, as we talked about in the first segment, that Deuteronomy 6 of us as parents taking initiative and passing on the faith to our children. There's much more to this conversation. We're going to explore this topic in, in greater depth right after this break with Dr. Douglas Beaumont. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about this different way of doing religious ed? We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today about family catechesis of uh, bringing the knowledge of faith and the practice of faith alive in the home. We're talking with Dr. Doug Beaumont, who's the director of religious education at St. Joseph Parish, somewhere hidden in the small state of California, with his PhD in theology from Northwest University and 10 bookshelves behind him. He comes well-equipped to answer these questions. Doug, thanks for joining us. Good to be back to y'all. <laughs> there at the end of the last segment, you were talking a little bit about the differences in your experience with uh, faith formation in the Protestant world, uh, specifically regarding adults, and what you've experienced in the Catholic world. Now, um, uh, specifically how there's not a whole lot around for adults. So as you're looking at this idea of family formation, do you uh, expect that there is a, uh, you know, you've got the two-hour session that you've talked about where you give the adults information to work with the children. Do you expect that to be all that there is, or do you have a, a separate idea or plan for how to catechize adults beyond that? Yeah, you have family catechesis in general, which just speaks to the idea that the parish needs to be teaching the whole family. Mm -hmm. Maybe we distinguish it between adult and child and youth, and we just have very robust programs for all of them. Or part of it can be a, a complete kind of paradigm change as far as how we actually teach the children, where you flip the classroom to where the parish is now focused directly on the parents uh, and equipping the parents to teach their children at home. In other words, we're literally taking catechesis of children out of the parish. And, and we are putting all of that money and all of that time and all of that effort into uh, catechizing the adults, evangelizing the adults, uh, so that they go home 
with their curriculum and teach their children at homes, not only the the, the facts, but also the culture of, of the Catholic family. We're going to get pushback from this because people are going to say, okay, we, we you've got to hit this multiple directions because... Yes, we have to start somewhere, but there are those families that no matter what you do, they're not going to pass that on to their children. Do we miss an opportunity with the children? And I go I go both ways on this because I think that it's important to pass on to children, but I also know that what we're doing in the parish doesn't necessarily overcome what's being done at home. So I, I see the need for this this family catechesis, but how do we balance that so that we reach those children? whose parents, even if they come to that two-hour class once a month, are not going to do catechesis at home. There's a number of considerations, and, and this was my first pushback myself. Um, when, in fact, when I actually met the rep for Sovia Institute last summer, that was my very first question was, you know, how do you deal with this? One response was, first of all, the, the parents are teaching their kids as primary educators no matter what. There's no getting around that. They, they get them for 99% of the time. We don't. And he said, you know, at least this way, two hours a month, I get to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going from zero to two hours, which is, which is a huge. Another thing that I think is helpful is that we're going to run the parent retreat right up to mass and that's going to be part of it. So now even the you know, non-practicing families are going to mass once a month, at least. Also, the, the curriculum itself, the Family of Faith curriculum by Sophia Institute uses a, a family-oriented curriculum that really there's no way to get done without the family being involved. Um, it, it's not just something you can hand to the kid and say, here, go do this in your room so we can pretend like we're doing it. It would, it would be very difficult to get through the program. And I think that honestly, for a, a non-practicing family that doesn't want to really get involved and do much, they're just not going to like this very much. It may be attractive because of the schedule. It may be attractive because of the babysitting, the free food. But at the end of the day, all, all you can really do is um, have some standard have some checkup. You know, we are going to look at the book. We are going to talk to you and, and see how things are going. It's not going to get better if they just drop their kids off. We already know that model's failing. We already know that's not going to work. Right. So at least now we're incorporating them into something and, and giving them something to reach for and, and some life-changing opportunities that they're not going to get sitting in the parking lot. Right. Now the question comes, we, we have this infrastructure that's built up around the current model of catechesis. And there, in many places, are diocesan or archdiocesan norms about the kinds of things that they want covered in each grade. Have you experienced, as, uh, in your conversations with Sophia Institute, have they mentioned anything about how uh, to incorporate this model that's drastically different into this infrastructure that dioceses and archdioceses are requiring for their parishes. Yeah, there, there, there are some interesting challenges there. Um, Sophia Institute in particular is, is not done with the curriculum. It's actually a, a four-year cycle that repeats. Um, and they're, they're writing the fourth book as we speak. So I've, I've seen the table of contents, but not the actual book. The four-year cycle is based on the, the four pillars of the catechism. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely solid. Um, there's, there's really no way to argue against the content. Uh, one thing that especially DREs, uh, DFFs, um, are going to notice is that this particular curriculum is not on the USCCB approved curriculum list. But here's the reason. It's not a child's curriculum. The USCCB doesn't rate adult curriculum on that list. Like I know in my diocese, the, the, the curriculum that I report, that I say this is our main thing that we use, has to be on that list. 
the, the difference there is that this is not the, the children's curriculum. This is an adult curriculum. So it really, in a sense, doesn't matter um, because that's not what we're teaching the kids. This is what we're teaching the parents. That might create an interesting challenge that, that needs to be dealt with. Um, so I'm working very closely with my equivalent at the diocese to make sure this is all above board and everything. But just to talk about integration for a minute, I personally, unless you've got a very small parish and, and a pastor that's one million percent behind this, um, I definitely don't recommend just scrapping um, the, the PSR or CCD, whatever you want to call it, model and just saying, okay, this is what we do now. Suck it up, parents. You know, that, that, <laughs> this is a, a radical, you know, massive idea change. I mean, I've been thinking about it for nine months and I'm still a little sketchy on some parts. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at a multi-year thing where we're, we're going to start very small, very compact, very, very lean, where we're going to almost make this kind of the elite formation program that you apply for and we'll see if we let you in, you know, kind of thing. Um, I, I really want this to be something attractive, something that gets talked up. And just changes organically. And, and maybe it never will. Maybe we will always have at least a partial school system. And that's fine. I'm not anti-catechism class. But I do want this to be available. And so we're going to start off with a hybrid model and give it several years to get going and see how it works out. We're not taking any steps to dismantle the other structure. This is something that we're adding right. to the program. I think that no matter what you do, you, even if you have the, uh, the, the school-minded catechesis classes, we have to, in some way, through conversations with our catechists, move them away from this school feel. Because if you go and you've gone to school all through the week and then on whatever day your whatever you call it, RE, happens to be, and you experience the same kind of classroom model, then you're going to inevitably associate an idea that one day I will be finished with this. There is a graduation mentality that comes along with school. And so we have to create opportunities for evangelism. There has to be uh, something interior and internal about it. You know, take the class and go and sit in front of the sacrament for 10 minutes and pray a decade of the rosary. Uh, spend some time looking into the mysteries that can't be explained by a book and allow the, the, the beauty and the truth and the goodness of our faith to seep into the inmost parts of the soul and not just facts into the inmost parts of the brain. Yeah, absolutely. In a lived experience, the school model's fine. But what we're talking about is something that is supposed to be life and, and, and not just facts about it. I compare it to learning algebra. I learned algebra in high school because that's what it took to get my piece of paper that let me get out of going to high school. <laughs> you know, I, my goal in high school was to not be in high school anymore. Right. Um, and it's because algebra meant nothing to me. Nothing. I, I, 99% of my life, algebra meant nothing. I've never needed it since then. I haven't done a single algebra equation since I finished the class. Um, I, I don't like algebra now. You know, it irritates me. You know, the, the last thing I want is algebra. I, I chose my college majors to not have to do algebra. <laughs> uh, so if, if faith ends up being that, where, you know, 99% of my life at home, everything I see on TV, everything I see in the movies, everything I see at, at, at the school I go to has nothing to do with the faith. But then, then you're making me, you know, not be able to hang out with my friends, not be able to watch TV, play video games. I got to go to this class where they talk about all this stuff and I'm memorizing it. But the whole, the whole reason I'm doing it is because my parents are making me and, and I just want to get out of here. I just want to get my thing, whatever it is and, and leave. Um, it's just really creating a mentality that, that's doomed to failure. Mm -hmm. um, 
And if, if it's not being backed up at home, if, you, if you're not doing algebra at home, if, you, if you're not seeing your parents, you know, doing algebra equations and just loving them and seeing the fulfillment that doing algebra brings, uh, you're just not going to do it <laughs> um, unless you're forced to. And, and that's just a completely wrong way of looking at, at faithful life. We, we live near the mountains. And so uh, we, we also live where the sky is frequently cloudy. And so we have this phrase in the morning uh, when you look out, you say, oh, the mountains are out, right? <laughs> and so a couple of, a couple of days ago, uh, last time we went to, to mass, my son woke up and the, the sun was hitting the mountains just so, and they were bright pink because uh, they're snow capped. And um, I'm not trying to make you jealous, but maybe just a little. And, I'm and, three hours from Yosemite, so I, I got yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> and, and he gasped. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's the matter? And he said, the mountains are out. They're beautiful. So first of all, that warmed my heart. But then I, uh, we were getting ready to go to, um, I was taking him to school. He was going to school mass. And um, I said, you know, do you ever get bored of the mountains? Because they never change. It's like, no, no, they're, they're amazing. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're beautiful. I said, every time when with the sun rises or you're in some different, do you notice something new about the mountains and something new to appreciate every time you look at them, even though they're always there? Oh yeah. The, if, if the sun's hitting them just so, or, or, you know, when the, when the sun sets there and they're just stark against the water, like, yeah, yeah. You know what else? The mass never changes either, <laughs> but it's not boring. It's just like this. There's always something new to see and something new to appreciate. And, and so uh, I bring that into this point because rather than saying, oh, I can't wait to get out of here, uh, to to tie it to something that he's just amazed by and say, this is what the mass is for me, right? To try and give that to him as a parent. This is what the mass is for me. It's something that is so much bigger and so uh, majestic and and so unchanging. And yet, even as it's unchanging, I find something new in it, even though it's the same day after day after day. Sure. And, and you know, that's, I, I'm going to steal that analogy, by the way. Um, but, you know, you bring up a good point that someone who falls in love with the mountains isn't going to be bored when you get, when you learn about mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, I take my kids hiking. They're very interested in how to tell, you know, what poison oak is, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not because they just have this natural affinity for uh, biology or botany. Um, it's because this is affecting me. You know, if, if I want to go enjoy those beautiful mountains, I need to learn more about them. And, and it, it creates this cycle where mass gets better because you're learning more and then learning more makes mass better and, and on and on it goes. But if, if we're just devoid of that, um, we, we can't expect things to be any different than they are. Yeah. We're talking today with Dr. Douglas Beaumont. Go check a look at his blog, his website, douglasbeaumont.com. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Good to be here, TL. There's more to my conversation with Doug Beaumont, available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and find out how you can get access to this and many other extra segments. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, TL. Today, we talked about religious education, about how do we pass the faith on to our children. Had that conversation with Dr. Douglas Beaumont. Find more of his work and writings over at douglasbeaumont.com, douglasbeaumont.com. He's got a lot of great blogs and articles on catechetics, as well as a couple of books that are well worth your time to look into. If you missed any part of the show where you want to go back and listen again or share it with those near and dear to you, your friends and neighbors, uh, then have no fear. This episode, as well as all of our other episodes, is archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's also another segment, uh, probably about 10, 15 minutes of extra content available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, Our Patreon supporters are what keeps us on the air week in and week out. Uh, They love the work we do and want to see it continue. And they like the extra content. Each and every week, we have a couple of extra questions with our guest that we explore a little bit more in depth. Uh, For as little as $5 a month, you can join their numbers and add that extra segment onto your podcast aggregator have it come straight to your phone or podcast listening device and enjoy that segment on your commute. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, the Support the Show link right there, and find out more about it. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews. The Word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. No creature is concealed from him, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. That reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. And here it is. Spend time in Scripture. As St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And there's, there's two thoughts that are being conveyed that I see here today in, in this reading from Hebrews. The first is that we have to render an account. We have to, to give God an account at the end of all days when we are standing in the judgment. We have to give an account for our lives and for the lives of those for whom we had uh, responsibility. So our children, we have to render an account for our children. Now, that could be a little bit overwhelming, <laughs> It could be a little stressful because uh, no matter how much you do, no matter how much you try to pass on the faith, our children still have free will. But we have to render account for that which we are responsible. But there at the end of that, lest we get overwhelmed, lest we become frightened, he says, confidently, you and I, let's approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace for timely help. So that's my prayer as I I try to raise my children. God, give me the grace for today. This, just give me enough to get through today. Let me reflect to my children your character just for the next five minutes, right? Sometimes 
sometimes just for the next five minutes, let them see your character in, in the way that I treat them. And scripture is that mirror, right? When I open up the Bible and I spend some time in the word of God and I, I let that really kind of reflect back on me, my own behavior, I can see through that reading of scripture, I can see where I need to grow. I can see where I have fallen. I can see where I have failed. And then I can boldly approach that throne of grace to obtain grace for timely help. Our reading from church history today comes from the letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. God's blessing must be our objective, and the way to win it, our study. Search the records of ancient times. Why was our father Abraham blessed? Was it not because his upright and straightforward conduct was inspired by faith? As for Isaac's faith, it was so strong that assured of the outcome, he willingly allowed himself to be offered in sacrifice. Jacob had the humility to leave his native land on account of his brother and go and serve Laban. He was given the twelve tribes of Israel. Honest reflection upon each of these examples will make us realize the magnitude of God's gifts. All the priests and Levites who served at the altar of God were descendant from Jacob. The manhood of our Lord Jesus derived from him. Through the tribe of Judah, kings, princes, and rulers sprang from him. Nor are his other tribes without their honor, for God promised Abraham, your descendants shall be as the stars of heaven. It is obvious, therefore, that none of these owed their honor and exaltation to themselves, or to their own labors, or to their deeds of virtue. No, they owed everything to God's will. So likewise with us, who by his will are called in Christ Jesus. We are not justified by our wisdom, intelligence, piety, or by any action of ours, however holy, but by faith, the one means by which God has justified men from the beginning. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What must we do then, brothers? Give up good works? Stop practicing Christian love? God forbid! We must be ready and eager for every opportunity to do good and put our whole heart into it. Even the Creator and Lord of the universe rejoices in His works. By His supreme power, He set the heavens in their place. By His infinite wisdom, He gave them order. He separated the land from the water surrounding it and made His own will its firm foundation. By His command, He brought to life the beasts that roam the earth. He created the sea and all its living creatures, and then by His power, set bounds to it. Finally, with his own holy and undefiled hands, he formed man, the highest and most intelligent of his creatures, the copy of his own image. Let us make man, God said, in our image and likeness. And God made man, male and female, he made them. Then when he had finished making all his creatures, God gave them his approval and blessing. Increase and multiply, he charged them. We must recognize, therefore, that upright men have been graced by good works, and that even the Lord himself took delight in the glory his works gave him. 
this should inspire us with a resolute determination to do his will and make us put our whole strength into the work of living a Christian life. That reading comes from the letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. Now, this is what we talked about at the very beginning, so we're kind of wrapping around to it here at the end again. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole being, and your whole strength. And in doing so, teach these commandments, teach this practice of faith, teach the good news that we've been reconciled to God, teach them to your children. Talk about it when you rise up and when you lie down. But there's something here that I, that I think is very important that we don't miss. These commands were given in Deuteronomy to a people who had walked through the Red Sea. They had seen the miraculous provision of God. They had encountered the majesty of God, right? This was not mere theory for them. This was not mere textbook for them. This was a response to the fact that God had delivered them from slavery. Now, they still had trouble with it, but they didn't have the same graces that you and I have by virtue of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, right? Here is the most important, probably the most important thing we're going to say today. You can't pass on what you don't have. If all you have of the faith is the knowledge of the faith, it's a wonderful place to start. But if you've not encountered the love of God, if you personally haven't encountered the fact that God loves you specifically, then it's going to be really hard to pass that same knowledge onto your children. If you have not yet experienced the fact that God wants to walk with you in a very tangible and real way in your daily life and to converse with you, then you're going to have a hard time passing that on to your children. And so spend some time today, right now, even if you have experienced it, spend some time today and ask the Lord to provide you an encounter, to give you the deep heart knowledge that he is right there with you, where you are right now, waiting to hear from you, waiting for you to trust him with your frustrations and your fears and to receive from him the graces that only he can give. And when you have that encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, outside of the, the mere idea of it, outside of the, the doctrines that are laid down, but actually an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, the commandments then make sense. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your whole being, and with your whole strength. This is no longer something that you have to manufacture or work up or, or will yourself to do. Rather, it's the response to the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to be exploring this concept of passing the faith on to our children a little bit more fully next week as we talk with Kendra Tierney about her new book, The Catholic All-Year Compendium. It's going to be a great conversation. It's all the time we have for this week. This week's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.